0: to the More Than a Physique podcast, where we discuss ways to ignite all areas of your life surrounding health, fitness, and becoming mentally elite. I'm your host, Kristen Jansen, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist at The Natty Hour. Welcome everybody to episode 70. In this week's episode, we are going to talk about how to grow your glutes. Now, The question I most commonly get is, how can I grow my glutes? It's probably one of the most popular questions I have received since becoming a coach back in 2014 now. And while the context of the information provided in this episode, it can be applied to any muscle group, we're simply going to use the glutes as an example of how to build legging body parts. So first off, why are glutes so hard to grow? Some of it is genetics, other reasons may be the exercise selection, or often how hard you are training. We'll spend some time today going over some common mistakes people tend to make as an attempt to build their glutes. We're also going to discuss the main drivers to help promote and maximize hypertrophy, aka muscle growth. So although glutes are the largest muscle of the body and supposedly the most powerful, people are fairly sedentary nowadays. So many are just sitting on their butts for most of the day at work, then they get an hour workout in and come home and sit on their butts for the entire evening. And this is causing the glutes to go silent and resistant to activating efficiently when we're trying to train them. If this lifestyle sounds familiar, some extra attention may be required when you are training the glutes conscious neuromuscular recruitment also known as mind muscle connection is extremely important for building glutes and this can be accomplished by doing a warm-up a proper warm-up with maybe two sets of lighter weight and then slowly increasing the weight to challenge yourself but keeping the glutes firing throughout the entire range of motion Now let's take some time today to look at some common mistakes people are often making that are holding them back from maximizing glute hypertrophy. There are three common mistakes that come to mind that people are making when they're trying to grow their glutes. Number one is exercise selection. Number two is lack of training stimulus. And number three is constantly being in a calorie deficit. In order to understand efficient exercises, you should be selecting to train the glutes We have to understand the function of the three glute muscles, which are the gluteus maximus, gluteus medius, and gluteus minimus. The three muscles originate from the ilium and sacrum and insert on the femur. So the gluteus maximus, also known as the glute max, is the largest out of the three glute muscles and it makes up a large part of the shape and appearance of the hips, whereas the gluteus medius is a broad, thick, radiating muscle, and it's situated on the outer surface of the pelvis. Then we have the gluteus minimus, and that's the smallest of the three glute muscles, and it is situated immediately beneath the gluteus medius. So the function of the muscles include extension, abduction, external rotation, and internal rotation of the hip joint. Some examples of some exercises that include these types of movement patterns targeting the glutes are things like hip thrusts, squats, lunge variations, deadlifts, hip abductions, and cable kickbacks. Now that we understand which movement patterns are targeting the glutes based off of how the hip moves, so like I mentioned, that being hip extension, abduction, internal and external rotation, let's dive in a little bit deeper to see which variations may not be as efficient as you may think. The first one that comes to mind is wide stance variations, such as sumo deadlifts and wide stance leg press. Even though your hips are extending and the glutes are still being targeted, mind you, these variations mainly target the adductors, also known as the thigh gap. If your overall goal is to maximize glute growth, other exercises like conventional deadlifts or Romanian deadlifts probably make more sense in comparison to the sumo deadlifts. However, if you do want to target your ad doctors like many people do, but you also want to target your glutes, then you know what, the sumo deadlifts, it might be a great two birds, one stone exercise for you in this particular situation. Another one that comes to mind, and this one is very popular, are mini bands that are around your knees for every single exercise. Doing 1,000 reps with a mini band around your knees, it's just not a productive way to target the glutes efficiently because of the lack of training stimulus. We'll elaborate on this more shortly, but when it comes to mini bands, I find they aren't a great staple as your primary go to source of resistance if glute hypertrophy is your main goal. They can, however, be a great tool for those who train at home for warming up, waking up the glutes, or even burning out the glutes at the end of a workout. They also actually can be very handy to bring with you when you are traveling. Now, these are just a couple of examples that come to mind. But does this mean that you should never perform any of these movement patterns? Of course not. They all serve a purpose, depending on your goals. For example... When I ruptured my Achilles tendon last year, I couldn't put any weight on my injured side, and doing a closed chain movement like barbell hip thrusts were out of the question. So what could I do instead? What can I do to make sure that I didn't have any glute atrophy, so muscle loss? Well, I found that kneeling hip thrusts was a great variation for me in this scenario. Did it load my glutes as good as regular hip thrusts? Definitely not, and just as a side note as to why that is, it's because the gravity works in our favor for regular hip thrusts as it loads the glutes more on the way down of the movement pattern. Whereas this isn't the case when we're doing kneeling hip thrusts, the range of motion as well for kneeling hip thrusts is a lot smaller. So this is not to label kneeling hip thrusts as a bad exercise, But in situations where you have to choose and you can perform both exercises, then yeah, regular hip thrusts are probably a better paying for your buck when it comes to glute hypertrophy. But it was a valuable tool for me when I needed it. So remember, it's never black and white, and it always depends on your goals, your situation, and even how your body responds to the specific movement pattern. Let's move on here to the next common mistake and that's the lack of training stimulus. This is where relying on just mini band circuit workouts comes into play so we'll go back to that example. So why is doing 1,000 reps of band hip thrusts, band sumo walks, and banded squats not enough training stimulus? Does this mean you have to do 2,000 reps? No, definitely not. Please don't do that. Even though higher reps can be an effective range for promoting hypertrophy, we still need to apply the rule of progressive overload in order to promote muscle growth, meaning we need to actually lift some weights to provide the working muscle with the overload, aka stimulus, that it needs in order to grow. So, to elaborate on that, it's important to understand that muscle growth is accomplished through three processes. Number one, mechanical tension. Number two, metabolic stress. And number three, muscle damage. The main driver for muscle growth is known as mechanical tension. And this is created by using a heavy load through a full range of motion. The time the muscle spends under tension provided by the external load, so a dumbbell for example, that creates mechanical tension on the muscle. Basically what this means is you want to perform exercises that are challenging to your muscles by overloading the working muscle so your body can respond, adapt, and increase the size and strength of the tissues. When it comes to metabolic stress now, it's important to note that muscle growth can occur with heavy rate, with heavy weights and with light weights. When you're using lighter weights, though, it is important to make sure to take those sets closer to failure in order to trigger the appropriate hormonal responses to promote adequate muscle growth. If one week, for example, you're performing 1,000 reps for your mini band circuit... Is it realistic to overload things again the following week by doing 2,000 reps? Probably not. There there is a law of diminishing return where you do start to do too many reps. And I would argue most people are performing the same load week after week when it comes to these types of workouts, which is not accomplishing our overall goal of overloading the working muscle. And I know this rep count that I'm giving you here is an extreme example, but hopefully you get the point that I'm trying to make when it comes to deciding if this is going to be a realistic approach for you or not. Lastly, we have muscle damage. A lot of people confuse muscle damage with soreness achieved after a workout. You actually can accomplish muscle damage without feeling sore, especially as you advance as a lifter and you're doing the same movement patterns over and over again. You don't need to feel muscle damage in order for it to take place. A good workout will create the needed disruptions in our muscle fibers, which ultimately allows us to promote hypertrophy. Now, I know that this can be confusing here, hearing all of these different drivers that I'm talking about when it comes to promoting muscle growth. You might be asking yourself, well, how can I implement this into my own training routine? How can I ensure I'm actually accomplishing these three different drivers for muscle growth? And I think the key here is just a focus on progressive overload, because mechanical tension is the main key driver for hypertrophy. If you just focus on that, if you just focus on overloading the muscle over time, the remaining processes of metabolic stress and muscle damage, they will fall into place. So don't let this overcomplicate things for you. Don't let this confuse you. I'm more so talking about these things as a way for you to have that understanding as to how muscle growth works. And then that way you can make better decisions when it comes to optimizing your training program and training decisions. So how can we actually achieve progressive overload? Let's elaborate on this because if you master the art of progressive overload, like I said, everything else is going to fall into place. So for those who don't know, progressive overload is the process of lifting more over time. We need to increase the demands being placed on our bodies by gradually getting stronger and stronger over time. And this can be accomplished in many ways. It doesn't just mean putting more weight on the bar every single week. You know, you can do that by adding more weight, especially if you're new to the gym, you will find that your strength increases quite frequently. But it's also accomplished by doing more sets, increasing your rep count, increasing your time under tension, so that just means slowing down your rep count, and then as well to simply improving your form and technique. For example, if you increase your range of motion from doing a quarter squat to a ass-to-grass squat, you will see progress there. That's another form of progressive overload. And the best way to do this, I find, is to track your workout. So bust out a training journal, track your progress so you can ensure that you're actually overloading as best as you can week after week. And then one final note regarding progressive overload in order for us to get better and to achieve it, we need to practice and maintain consistency with performing the same movement patterns so we can get better and better over time. So a good example of this is if you are trying to improve your squat strength and your squat technique, how can we do that if we're swapping out squats and we're only doing it every other month? We have to remember that practice makes perfect. So I talked about this on a previous episode and that's episode 64 where I talk about why we don't want to be switching up our workouts as frequently as many do. So make sure you guys check that one out. All right so let's move on to the final mistake people often make when it comes to maximizing muscle growth and that is for those who are constantly in a calorie deficit. That's not to say it is impossible to build muscle in a calorie deficit, This is a very common debate amongst other coaches in the fitness community. But it's so important to remember that this typically applies to those who are a novice lifter. So if you're a beginner, it also applies to those who have experienced a detraining period. So maybe you were injured and you haven't trained for a significant period of time and then you go back to lifting. You get the benefits of being able to build muscle while being in a calorie deficit and the last individual who's able to accomplish this are those who are taking performance-enhancing drugs. If you are a natural athlete and you have many years of lifting under your belt where you consider yourself advanced, yeah, you know what? Building muscle while you're dieting is going to feel like it's next to impossible. This isn't meant to discourage you. Instead, I want it to encourage you to set some realistic expectations for yourself, what are your main goals is it to lose weight or is it to build muscle you can still try to accomplish both if you wish but honestly a hunter trying to catch two rabbits often ends up with none i can't believe i just used another cruelty to animals analogy here i'm going to use another one my personal favorite and that's you can't suck and blow at the same time so if you want to try both you can go for it i'm not going to stop you But I would argue that focusing on one and then the other at a later date is probably going to be best for optimizing your results. I get a lot of pushback when I encourage people to just let go of dieting for a period of time, but it's not forever. Dieting is always going to be there. Sometimes taking a break from dieting and putting yourself in a slight calorie surplus may be just what you need. To change your body composition, especially if after listening to this your training program is also on point. Muscle growth can be very challenging for a lot of people because it does require accumulated consistent effort. It's a lot of the same exercises, same movement patterns, and trying to push a little bit more weight week after week. And the most annoying reason is it requires a lot of patience. But if you can look past that, it can be a lot of fun, actually. I find that muscle growth and just bodybuilding in general, it's, it's an art. It's like painting a sculpture. And at the end of the day, we have to always remember that great things take time. Alright team, that about wraps up this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, if you found it helpful, as a thank you to me, please do me a huge favor and be sure to share this on your social media. Maybe share it with your friends and family. And if you haven't already, please be sure to go leave this episode a review on iTunes. It really helps me out. It helps other people find the episode so we can ensure that we help more people just like this episode was able to help you. So thank you all. I look forward to chatting with you all again very soon. But until then, go out there, strive for more, be more, and ignite your inner athlete.